Let's talk cycling for a little while. Uh, Life and Times of Nick White joins us. Nick, how's it going? John, good to chat. You nearly forgot about our interview you said on the Facebooks. Yeah, no, I didn't really forget, but uh, yeah, it was a good reminder. It's so, because uh, you're up so early every morning on a bicycle. Yeah, we try not to do it every morning, but uh, <laughs> yeah, today was a particularly early morning mm-hmm. uh, for a long ride, and uh, yeah, we uh, still having a little bit of fun along the way. Um, so yeah, today was a great day, nice weather, tough ride, but um, yeah, good weekend ride. I just need to warn anybody, if you ever feel fat... Don't watch Nick White's Instagram because it's the most amazing photographs of places in Johannesburg that you didn't know you could take a bicycle to. Where do you? How did you find these routes, Nick? Tell us about these morning rides you guys do. Yeah, so I mean, today was a little bit more standard on the road and that, but um, yeah, we've got some interesting uh, routes that we've been doing of late. Um, obviously, the new fad is gravel bikes, so a little bit of a mix between a road bike with fatter tires, so you can take it some places where you take your mountain bike um, and it's opened up a whole new world of cycling, I think. So, you know, we stay sort of central Johannesburg and I grew up in the south of Johannesburg and, um, yeah, we try and mix the two. So we pretty much go through the center of town, mm. a couple of little interesting uh, routes through town and uh, into the south of Johannesburg, into the, I would say, the, the farmlands over there. And, um, yeah, because we're on gravel bikes, we ride the tar as if we're on road bikes. And then you can do gravel roads and jeep track okay. and single track and all sure. sorts of things. So definitely opens up a whole new world of exploration um, while you're getting a good bike ride in. So we're having a lot of fun at the moment with that. Do you plan the rides before you go? Or is it sort of, let's just take a short left? So... I've ridden in the past on mountain bikes with some friends uh, who used to know a lot of those routes. So I got to know a fair amount of routes then. And obviously things have changed over the last 10 years and that. So now and again, they aren't all the same. But mm. uh, yeah, we uh, technology these days is pretty clever. So we can almost plot where we want to go, um, see where others have gone before us. And then we know what we're exploring and that it's potentially doable. So yeah, sometimes a little bit of hit and miss and we get a fair <laughs> idea of where we want to go and uh, which direction and then a little bit of exploration and um, uncovering some gems. So we're doing some pieces of bike riding routes that are a stone throw away from the roads we've been riding on for 30 years. Mm. We didn't know where, what was yeah. in the inside of the felt and uh, all the dirt roads. So it's really it's a lot of fun and reinvigorating our interest in uh, the same area but from a different view. Mm. Yeah, uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break. Nick White is our guest today. Go find him on the Instagram. Some lovely photographs as well of the city as seen from a bicycle, and it really does change your perspective. Uh, they use the rear via routes a lot as well on a, a early, early Sunday morning. It's really some pretty pictures. Going to talk to Nick White. We're going to go back in his career, find out where, where it starts and where he is now. Tweet at SFM Radio and at John Herica. My guest is Nick White, cycling legend, it says here. When did you start riding bikes, Nick? So I probably uh, started riding bikes, racing bikes in uh, school, um, sort of mid to high school, probably around about uh, 88, 89. That's the 1900s of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> for those that are a bit newer. But uh, yeah, so it's a good uh, 30 plus years that been peddling around Joburg. Was it difficult to be a pro cyclist? You're, you're taller than most cyclists are. Well, um, I probably am upper range, but I'm um, not the tallest. Right. And um, 
yeah, I think uh, in some ways we sort of stumbled across doing that. Obviously, when you start riding and then you start to race, you all envision wanting to ride the Tour de France at some mm. point, but uh, there's no clear path to get there. And, uh, yeah, just things progressed, and yeah, as you did well, then another step uh, opened up, and uh, so we went on and uh, you know, pursued a few years of uh, trying to ride in Europe with amateur clubs mm-hmm. in Belgium in uh, the sort of mid-90s and just didn't quite pay off. And then, yeah, I got into some nice local South African teams which were on the app and progressing and we actually got to travel around the world a bit and ride international races with those teams and at that point the national cycling team as well did uh, quite a few races. So it was was pretty productive and uh yeah we got to to race at a, a reasonably nice level without being um in the top european team mm. in those days what was it like going over to europe for the first time that was pretty scary i think uh i was lucky enough to go one of the first sort of national teams still as a junior we raced in austria it was in 1992 and, uh, yeah, we went to a little tour in Austria and then later on to the World Champs as juniors with mm. the national team. And yeah, it was pretty scary. Obviously, we hadn't really had any international rider exposure locally, just riding with South Africans. And, uh, yeah, into the big world of what happens in Europe, it was, uh, yeah, races with lots of different nationalities in one race. And, uh, yeah, we were terrified of the big groups, <laughs> of the bunches and, you know, the narrow roads and, uh, and the speed and the, the chaos of it, the crashes and all mm. that type of thing. So it was quite um, daunting. But yeah, I suppose you have to learn to swim or you sink. And uh, yeah, we uh, had some results eventually along the way, not initially there, but yeah, it was all part of the learning curve and uh, finding your way in, um, in the group, in uh, the racing level of cycling. Mid-90s now, when we look back at it, was it was quite a dark time in cycling. What was it like, uh, and I'm going to assume you were a clean cyclist, what was it like to, to be a clean cyclist and to maybe look back at it now and think, just what were, what were these people thinking? Well, I mean, then uh, you don't really know exactly what's going on. You're on the outer fringes of things. You're just trying to ride your bike mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, the preparation and what you did was maybe not exactly what they were doing, not that you really knew what they were doing. And, you know, there were always those war stories about how dodgy the old professionals might have been at some point, which never really experienced or saw. But right. uh, the speed on the road and uh, the, the sort of toughness of the riders was beyond comprehension at many points. And, I mean, uh, we raced uh, in some really good races as a national team, sort of 98, 99, those years. And, um yeah, since looking back and seeing what's come out of the woodwork in those years, I mean, uh, some guys were flying at a different speed <laughs> altogether, and uh, we wondered why it was so hard in the group to stay in the bunch, and mm. clearly <laughs> that's a little bit of uh, the reasoning. Okay, I'm, I'm, I don't really want to talk about that, so let, let's move on to, to what you did do. What you, you It says here on your Wikipedia page, which is lovely to have a Wikipedia page, you're an all-round cyclist. What does that mean? So probably in the racing that we did, I wasn't good at one thing only. Um, One thing I wasn't really good at was sprinting, but uh, I could climb, I could time trial, I was good in the tours, so that probably was a little bit more of an all-rounder. So uh, yeah, I could assist riders who could win races in sprints and that, and uh, helping them win was uh, one of the things that I could do and do pretty well. And um, yeah, in my own right, I won a few bike races as a solo rider, getting Mm. away from... uh, from the bunch and uh, 
on more of a hilly, lumpier races. Um, although on some of the flat races, I also did well on occasion. So yeah, I think uh, just looking for opportunities and having good legs and, and taking a chance, you know, there should be some good results along the way. Yeah, I mean, fifth overall of the Tour de Langkawi isn't too bad. And then uh, first overall Tour de Morocco, which is awesome. Uh, Gerard Del Capo, you were eighth. You were always there or thereabouts, weren't you? Yeah, so I had, uh, you know, if we look back, I think there were some really nice races that I managed to do well at. Um, you know, some with uh, good riders from the world stage. And, yeah, we were in the mix. We weren't necessarily it was winning those. But, um, yeah, we uh, definitely was was there and got noticed. Um, maybe not to the point of getting uh, a step up to the top level. But, mm. uh, yeah, we had fun doing it. And uh, it was, was good. And at that time, you just take it for granted that you do it and you carry on. But now, looking back, for anyone new wanting to get and to get some of those results, it's probably not that easy. We took it for granted that we just managed to to do some of those things. Yeah, what was your what was your best year? Because from '98, where you were third at the national time trials, all the way to 2010, uh, where you were second in the national road champs. Like I said, you you were always there. Was there one year that stands out that says, yeah, I, that's got all the medals on the wall? So, um, yeah, I mean, certain years were better than others, and, uh, you know, we had some down years as well. But, um, yeah, 98 was a bit of a breakthrough because I uh, managed to win one of those first two of Morocco's, mm. and that was really unexpected. Uh, so it sort of put me on the map in a small way. Um, and then 99 was a very good year for me. So won quite a few of the, the local one-day races, like uh, Tour de Urban, Amashova, Race for Victory, um, the EP Herald, and yeah, quite a few things like that. Did well in that year at the Reporter with a stage win and yellow jersey for a bit, third overall eventually. Um, you know, 99, I think I was uh, also quite high up in uh, the Gilda Capo. Um, those were big races then, and uh, yeah, I pretty much had a pretty really consistent year. 2000 wasn't bad either for me and uh, yeah some of the years got some nice results consistently and some other years mm. you know didn't have the best time but uh, that was a, a really good breakthrough year in 99 and then in 2004 again uh, I did also have a really good year and won some races in France and um, at the higher level that we were we were playing at at that point with our team HSBC so yeah that would also stand out as uh, you know really one of my stronger years. Uh, the race I remember you the most for is I was in the starting pen. I hadn't started riding yet when you won your 947, your your last professional race. We'll put that in inverted commas for a moment, uh, where yeah. you, you broke away and you were by yourself. Did did the peloton let you win because it was your last race or was that a proper win? <clears throat> no, I think it was a proper win, but there was a lot of uh, politics involved then because we had a really strong team yes. um, that year of med scheme. And we managed to get away in a break pretty early in the race through town when we still went up Joe Slobo Road into Hillbrow off the highway. So that was a pretty tough section of the 94.7. And we got a big breakaway going there and we had quite a lot of our, our teammates in that break. In fact, the majority of our team was in that break. So, you know, me being uh, not particularly uh, earmarked as the favourite for the day, <laughs> I had to do a lot of work for some of my preferred uh, teammates who had a fast finish and could potentially secure a race win, which was, was our goal. Um, so yeah, I did a lot of work for them with some of the other teammates who were in a similar position to me. So we, we did a lot of the graft and uh, some of the opposition that was in the break with us didn't really contribute too much. 
But then, uh, yeah, towards the end, we started to open things up a little bit with a few attacks, and um, I managed to go clear. Uh, so, yeah, I think it did benefit me because I had lots of teammates in the group, mm. um, but I also had some friends in the opposition that uh, was in that front break. So, um, yeah, a little bit of politics ensued, and that's <laughs> another long story. And, yeah, I got enough daylight between me and the rest to, to stay away and win. But um, it was definitely not planned. It was really lovely to do, and um, yeah, sometimes just things fall together correctly without too much planning. That's just hard work and perseverance. So you you, you ended up not well, hanging up the bicycle, but in no way have you done. You are now helping the youngins. Tell us about what Nick White is doing now. So yeah, I mean, the cycling's a little bit in blood. I enjoy doing it, and there's a fair amount of knowledge to pass on and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I stopped racing professionally or at least full-time that year. 2010 was the last one. And from then on, we had a development team in my role at Cycle Lab. We had a little bit of a side offshoot development team with some nice riders who we managed to get into that team. The first was 2011, our first year. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, I mean, the likes of Louis Meinkies and Billy Smith were in those, that mm. team. Um, and then, yeah, I progressed in through a few different sponsored uh sort of associations from that uh, sort of CSA Academy with Cycle Lab through to Europe Car and then into Road Cover. Um, and now latest incarnation, although slightly different to then, but same sort of concept is we've got the Office Crew racing team, which we've had some involvement with for the last four years. So essentially really giving young riders a platform to perform and get to the best of what they can potentially do in uh, the South African context. Obviously, going into Europe and that bigger mm. space equals lots more money and time and involvement and all the rest of it. So we really just focused on trying to get guys the opportunity to step up to a certain level as well as we can um, from a local point of view. And uh, some have gone on further to to reach quite nice heights. Um, and yeah, I think it's just passing on that knowledge and uh, and giving people opportunity to to go further is what our ethos has been for the last 10 years. Nick White, what's the future of cycling, professional cycling in South Africa? Yeah, it's a bit of a tricky time. I mean, we were talking to about some things the other day and uh, some guys had posted some prize money that we won in the 1998 Tour de Urban, for instance. Mm. And uh, they were laughing at that wasn't much money. And, um, you know, some of the comments were now that some of the races have 10, 12 years, 20 years later have even less money and the money's worth less now. So it's quite tricky. Um, the state of cycling locally, there are some really nice races, but um, it really has become a, a mass participation focus. Mm. Um, and not too many race organizers are able to, in this day and age, to put on a proper professional front end. There are certain races which are really well done, but um, they may be a bit fewer than uh, than the others. But, um, yeah, for the most part, the riders want opportunity. They want to race hard, and they want to race against a nice competitive level. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that's, it's a whole long story to see where things could be better or not. And some organizers are really trying hard, but, um, yeah, this has been one big challenging year where nothing is ordinary and mm. um, it's been hard to, to go forward. So, Hopefully times will slowly readjust a little bit, but um, yeah, we had some really good years in my early years as a professional in South Africa, and um, some of those 
moments have been hard to replicate over the last few years. What are they? And NTT now, we were hoping that they would open the door to more South Africans getting out there. It's it's a little dribble of South Africans. As you say, Louis Makis has gone on and done fantastic things. Do Is there a pipeline into Europe from South Africa then? No, there isn't really a pipeline. Even with NTT, there was a very few opportunities for stepping up. Mm. Mark Pritson, who rode with our office guru team uh, still last year, I mean, he got an opportunity for the NTT development team for this year, but this year has been a bit of a write-off for most cases um, because of the state of the world. But, um, yeah, very few get an opportunity, um, but that's not to say that it's impossible because some people do go on and go further. Um, But, yeah, it is really just a little dribble, and it's hard to really develop uh, a lot of other avenues because, you know, coming from South Africa um, into a European sport, there's lots of challenges, you know, visa, passports, mm-hmm. earning money, all sorts of things. So it's by no means easy, but um, those that have gone before us and uh, are doing it now for the likes of Daryl Impey and, uh, you know, some of the other guys, Ryan Gibbons is starting to make yeah. his uh, presence felt, um, came through our, one of our teams, <laughs> through Eurocar and uh, Road Cover and uh, chose that it's not impossible, but it's pretty tough to to get into Europe and uh, make a name for yourself. Well, Nick White, honor speaking to you. Thank you very much for joining us. Look forward to seeing your Instagram pictures again tomorrow morning. Thank you very much, John. Have a great evening. Cycling legend Nick White joining us here on SAFM Sport Tracks. Uh, you can find out more about what he does at White Inc. W-I-T-E-I-N-C as in White Incorporated. Co.